Contrast Security secures the code that global business relies on. It is the industry's most modern and comprehensive code security platform, removing security roadblock inefficiencies and empowering enterprise developers to write and release secure application code faster. The Contrast platform automatically detects vulnerabilities while developers write code, eliminates false positives, and provides how-to-fix guidance for easy and fast vulnerability remediation. Learn more about the Contrast platform at securityweekly.com slash contrast security. The shift to remote and hybrid work over the past two years has accelerated application development on cloud infrastructure. However, securing these new assets has lagged behind. Qualys CloudView, the next generation cloud security posture management, delivers an end-to-end multi-cloud security and compliance solution encompassing the entire application lifecycle from build to runtime. CloudView enables enterprises to assess their cloud security and compliance posture, identify risks and gaps, auto-remediate issues, proactively enforce best practices, and prove compliance and audits rapidly and efficiently. Identify your most vulnerable cloud assets by visiting securityweekly.com slash Qualys. Businesses need API protection that goes beyond signature matching and can stay ahead of attackers and their various tactics and tools. They need a solution that is more patient and prepared than a modern attacker and can track their actions over time. ThreadX is the only API attack protection platform that delivers on the promise of stopping API attacks in real time while giving you the visibility you need to prepare for future attacks. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com slash ThreadX. Welcome back to Application Security Weekly. We just talked with Tanya Janka about making effective security through good security and the importance of learning how people learn in order to deliver effective training. I'm your host, Mike Shima. I'm here with John Kinsella, and it's just about time for the news. First, don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content, just like us talking about 90s music. Uh, Screaming Trees, Soul Asylum, those are two more that we should mention in there. Uh, visit securityweekly.com slash subscribe to subscribe on any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, a Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. And do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions at securityweekly.com slash guests. We review suggestions monthly and we'll reach out to you once reviewed. Ah, uh, Mr. Kinsella, this brings us to the first article was, uh, unfortunately, we lost Joe in between the the, the break there, but uh, there is on ESPN2 a financial modeling World Cup that was underway using Microsoft Excel. And I was going <laughs> to set up, uh, start start off my co-host with, uh, you need to now implement a Diffie-Hellman key exchange using only Excel. Um, bonus points if you can make it post-quantum, but uh, we're going to have to push that out for a delay of game and we'll bring that out maybe next next episode. We'll see. But I thought that was just kind of fun is uh, not anything particularly application security related, unless there's some ideas. What would, besides a CTF, what would an application security competition look like that, that you know, that, that, that you would watch? So, well, so I was actually curious about this and um, I, I just, so yeah, so I'm for, for those listening, I'm, I'm just landed in, got home. And so I'm, I wasn't at Vegas, but I'm, I'm still sort of unpacking and catching up on the news. Um, I've actually watched this before. So wonderful. It's it. I'm guessing it's on either very, very late or very, very early on, on ESPN (laughs) because, um, uh, you know, it sounds great and I'm sure it is, but like, yeah, there's, you can find us on YouTube too. 
uh, and like mm-hmm. curiosity killed that cat, and I had to go and click around. And um, I'm I'm here to tell you that uh, it, it's going to be on either very late or very early on. Um, well, they say ESPN eight is that actually a channel? Because I know of ESPN two, and if eight exists, that explains a lot. Um, it, we all get our kicks right, you know. As you were just saying, Mike, like we talk about um, AppSec. You know, we had Tanya on here, who's amazing, uh, pro- professional entertainer background, but still, if you put mm-hmm. us in front of the 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 right group of football fans they're gonna be like what is this garbage get it off our tv so we all have our own thing um but yeah i don't know um i'm still need to catch up on the vegas stuff too the black hat and the defcon from the weekend so we've probably got a lot of really entertaining tv to be watching um over the coming weeks indeed yeah i've got uh two black hat references coming up but let's build up to them because i think we've got uh at least we've got quite a theme of microsoft's you know riffing on the starting off with excel a couple of articles i brought together that i think build into not some microsoft bashing we're not in the 90s anymore but some microsoft uh learning some education if you will one was just a uh, dog walk zero day vulnerability that's been exploited this was essentially the the story behind this, it was a vulnerability that was first disclosed to them in 2019, I believe. And then in the bug bounty triage, which is not uncommon, was a reaction of, well, this isn't bypassing a security boundary. You know, you're, are you basically just telling us that someone has to download and execute a file and then that file will execute arbitrary code within the privileges of their account? And these are reasonable reactions to bug bounty submissions and reasonable discussions to have. But one of the good things I think is that as we learn, as as we understand more nuances of attacks, as well as attacks get um, improved and more popularized, uh, they become, they the, the risk elevates and now Microsoft fixed this. So this was more just an example of a you know, handling bug bounties, which is one of the reasons I picked it up to to build up to Microsoft also uh, was showing off in the last 12 months. So uh, a, a June, last June 2021 through this July, spent a whopping $14 million in bug bounty rewards. So this goes into yet another one of those marketing style articles that says this is how much money we spent. But 14 million is a lot. You know, one of the questions here, I would say, John, I'm going to give you $13 million because I'm mm-hmm. going to skim a little bit off the top for myself, but you've got an annual budget, $13 million. What kind of, what are you going to do with the development team that you could uh, put together with that and with a focus on security? That's a good question. Um, throw a party at Black Hat with 10 million <laughs> and then 2 million. There we go. Um, <laughs> No, right. And it, you know, it's, it's, I've got Tanya on the brain after the last half hour. So, um, you know, we've got more and more free resources for people to be able to learn and educate and improve. Um, I'm, I'm going to go out of my way here to avoid the vendor we're talking about for people can see my Twitter if they care. Um, but I, I think it, it's a nice change, nice chunk of change. Um, What's catching my eye right now, I'm going to come back to this, but like on the page, actually on the MSRC page, um, there's a map, a grayscale of where the researchers were around the world. A little bit in South, well, most US and Asia, um, a little bit down in South America, tiny bit in Africa. Um, So the first thought in my head, well, actually Middle East too. The first thought in my head is um, as those geographic areas come online over the next I'll say three to five years. We're going to start seeing some really interesting stuff. I've worked with some folks in Nigeria. Um, like one of my one of my co-founders is from South Africa. 
Um, so, you know, that that continent is, we're right on the edge of seeing that just sort of take off. So it's going to be really exciting just as an industry to see some of those people actually come back to and listen to Tanya stuff and things like that. But, um, you know, let's make it a nice round number, 10 million. Don't ask me where the other 2 million went. Um, you can do a lot with that, man. And that's, oh man, I'm not going to go there. Um, there's a lot you can do with that. And, um, you know, depending, no matter how big your, um, how many lines of code you have underneath your, um, purview. Um, I, I think all of us at some point, you know, preferably more often, not less need to take that step back and go, what would I do with it? You know, it, it's good that this money is being put in this, in this example, into bug bounties and Google and the other guys are doing it too. But at the same time, it's like, okay, is there something we should be doing? I'll say this non-technical in my organization. Um, do I mentor my leaders better? Do we have better lines of communication? Do we not let things sit around for two years? Um, and this, by the way, also this particular article you have, or sorry, the last article, um, the dog, whatever it is, um, dog walk, that's a uh, path traversal also. So I thought of you when I saw it. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of things you can do with that money. Take, take a million of it, take like 2 million and grab the top 10% of um, leadership in your company, say top 25% and actually go, Hey, we care about this. We're spending $10 million a year on this just alone. Even if that's a small percentage, how do I, how can we do better things? How do we care more about this? Um, Leave the politicking out of it. If your company has politicking, leave everything out of it. Like, how do we actually make stuff better? So as, again, as Tony was saying, um, the developers who are sitting in the other side aren't being embarrassed or scared that something like this is going to come out of the public. So that, that's um, my thought on how to spend $9 million. Oh, yeah, I like that. Because my you went in definitely a different direction. My brain immediately was going to, speaking of like dog walk, and yes, some, some directory traversal and PowerShell in there, was going just to the idea of roll out FIDO keys. There's just one thing that there's a cost there, both of the initial hardware as well as ongoing support. But you can get rid of a lot of those phishing attack vectors um, just using FIDO keys. And then I think the other part of my, where my brain was going to would be campaigns in the sense of what, what, what do we, what, where's our attack surface that we're dealing with? Where, where is some pain points that, you know, that, that we, that some good developers, three to five developers could tiger team to throw out some more, um, hopefully not sounding too cliche, uh, go, go tackle some sandboxing something, adding a new default configuration that is secure by default. And part of that, my mind was also kind of pulling all these articles together. And the, another one about Microsoft Edge, with so this is part of their super duper security um, configurations. They have a, a, a new security layer where you can basically disable JIT. And this is a way to saying JIT is notorious for being an attack vector for zero days. We saw this with uh, iOS and lockdown. They also disabling JIT within their Safari, as well as I believe also within uh, iMessage and rendering. So it's the idea of where, where are some areas that are common attack classes commonly attacked and what can we do besides just fix a lot of bugs um so again i think i don't have a very good idea that is focused there but that's where i would start to think about it hmm. so um, so let's see um I, I agree with you on that stuff um and that's the end of a recording that's true uh no uh <laughs> so 
You know, what I didn't put in here into our, our notes, I don't think you got it either. Uh, Brandon Ike um, from Mozilla, the guy who created mm. um, JavaScript, I believe he said it did like an hour or two when he was, you know, um, <laughs> right. bored or something. He actually came out last week or two, I believe, and said that he thinks JavaScript, JavaScript should go away. So um, put that in here with, as you're saying, around the JIT and some things like this. So, you know, that that's good. That's great. And I want to go back to the previous thing for you know another 30 seconds. You were mm-hmm. talking about FIDO keys and, and the, the technical controls, right, oh. versus the human controls. Um, and I think this article, again, is sort of let's bring these two together with Microsoft Edge. So, and I, I'm not talking about a single organization because I'm seeing this over multiple organizations just in the last week or two. Um, people get in the way, uh, whether it's people are lazy or as we were saying last story that they don't admit that they don't know about something or God, we've had this vulnerability in our code for 18 months. I hope nobody finds it. And then like, you know, four months later, <laughs> hello. Somebody um, finds it. <laughs> so there's all these different things that we're just as humans that we're doing. They're so dumb. Um, and that includes me. I ain't perfect here. Right. But that's, it, it's, I think a lot of, if we just spend some of that money, I mean, we, we need the controls. Let's get rid of the low hanging fruit. We're all, all, all going to agree on that. But at the same time, it's like, let's just go for a walk outside and talk about what are we doing and why are we actually doing this or why do we have some of these things? And that's, um, like I said, man, I'm seeing this across multiple large organizations out there. Um, there's one organization that they released something in production the last few weeks that like was never QA'd. It's like, yeah. What, what can you do? Right. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's, that's not my friends here in Redmond. Um, but that, that's, there's, you know, it's, so it's some of the really basic things is, is we don't always need the, the, the complex story that that's all. But so, um, yeah, I, I think it, that makes sense. And it, it now it, it bolsters a little bit more and it, 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 the, the light bulb is going off over my head while you were focusing on that budget, you know, that yeah. $10 million, I think it was $8 million by now that we're going yes. to spend, um, you know, talking to leadership, talking to the stakeholders, because it sounds like you really want to push on that instilling the culture. And this is how we care, which is again, hard to put that numeric, you know, that financial value on it, but it leads into that idea of let's actually QA these things. Let's, let's say that, yes, people are going to complain about change. Change is bad of any kind, but there are reasons why we do want change and change doesn't have to be terrible in the sense that security is now friction. And that's possibly one of the things that we didn't go deep enough when we were talking with Tanya about, but even with the idea of like, I'll riff a little bit on those FIDO keys and saying, it would also be great to have, you you know, use those keys when you need to access a production system, but also be even better to not have to access a production for humans to access production systems anyway. But the security approach is not to say our new mandate is no humans touch a, a production system. The approach is what are your workflows? What are you trying to do? Let's actually invest some time now to make that automated, to make that that life easier rather than just say, you can't access it, go figure it out on yourself and then throw them to the, the, the proverbial wolves of mm-hmm. trying to, you know, deal with a, you know, 99 point lots of nines uptime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, spot on. It's, and I'm not saying don't spend the money. I'm just saying, right. let's just think about doing, do and it comes back to, again, I'm really sort of quoting her a lot. Um, she was talking about like, you know, she engages with a customer um, and they're like, what tool should I buy? I was like, well, maybe you don't need the tool. Um, 
maybe the tools in the lunchroom and you need to get rid of him. But um, <laughs> that's true. Anyways, let's see where we, we, we've, we've killed this horse. Where do we want to go next? No, we've killed this horse. And so, yeah, spend, definitely spend your budget on uh, application security weekly sponsorships. We'll yes. take, you know, a million mm -hmm. perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I think related to this, you have a, a Wired article, uh, Sloppy Software Patches Are a Disturbing Trend. This also sounds something perhaps culture related. Tell us a bit more about this. Yeah. So um, ZDI, the Zero Day Initiative, um, you know, they've went through 17 years worth of uh, uh, data, I think close to 10,000 vulnerabilities. And sort of looking at how things are going. Um, and in general, what they're seeing, there's a sentence at the end I really liked. Yeah. Um, what, what they're seeing is is the patches that we as an industry are, well, yeah, we as an industry, I'll call myself part of the software industry for right now. The patches which we're creating as, as vulnerabilities are found are becoming less and less quality. Um, so that the quote here at the end um, was the weaponization of failed patches in various vulnerabilities is absolutely being used in the wild right now. And we've seen this, you know, on the show, I think in the last few weeks, even we've had uh, um, stories where someone patched something, but it wasn't done right. And it's okay. Is that just, is it again, back to, I'm on, I guess I'm on a human kick today. Is it, it wasn't tested well enough. Did they not think about it? Were they in a rush? Um, did they not understand the vulnerability? Um, so there, there's multiple different reasons why it could be, that case, but um, we're, we're basically in hell. I see this too, right? If I do something really quickly in a deadline, there's going to be bugs. So how do we slow down just enough to try and not make it obvious vulnerabilities from our vulnerabilities? Yeah, and this is tying together. I'm going to bring in a, um, an, a another Black Hat preview at the time article uh, from Katie Musuris, who was talking about bug bounties. And I think there's a theme there yes. too that ties in what you were saying in the sense that she has she used the phrase bug bounty pot botox in mm -hmm. other words organizations just rolling out a bug bounty program to say hey we want to we want to do good things we want to engage the security community we want to engage the worldwide security community that you were pointing out in that micro the msrc article which is all very positive things but where it becomes slightly less positive or a lot less positive is you get sloppy software patches when you're trying to fix the bugs because you're just focused on the bugs themselves, or you just get a pile of bugs stacking up and up and up into what I like to call a, you know, we have DevOps, we have DevSecOps, or we have bug ops programs. And a bug ops program is just like, ah, oh, we'll, we'll fix the bugs that come in and we won't pay attention to the underlying attack class or the underlying, why is this happening? Or we're just going to measure our number of bugs that come in, but we're not going to pay attention to how efficiently and reliably as a callback to Tanya was saying, can we roll out changes quickly because we have good testing? Um, and that's, this leads into that idea of mean time to repair, just being able to fix efficiently, fix bugs efficiently. So I thought that was pretty nice. And then I'm going to uh, want to get your reaction to that, but also pull in the one other bug bounty article we've got about Google wanting to make the Linux kernel flaws harder to exploit, which is an example of using a bug bounty program to say, we have some mitigations that we think are pretty effective. We're raising that attacker cost, another area that uh, Tani was talking about. And this is how we're going to use a bug bounty program to 
prove or disprove that hypothesis, meaning we're going to award a lot of money if you can bypass these Linux kernel, you know, bypass these, these mitigations. And so clearly, if we're talking about Microsoft, we're talking about Google, these are organizations with deep pockets to spend on security, highly mature uh, development programs within certain areas. I'm going to say that just a small caveat before John rolls his eyes too much. <laughs> um, but um, th those are the those are the, the those are the areas to reach for with bug bounty mm. programs. But obviously, small businesses, new programs aren't going to be testing broad mitigations. But I'm highlighting those as a roadmap so we have a strategy for where to get to. Excellent. Love to have a roadmap. Um, yeah, the, the, the Katie bit, I want to go back and actually watch mm -hmm. the, the video on that because I'm guessing that's um, going to be a good talk. Um, and you know, I think we were talking in the last week or two about, you know, I think you actually asked me what metrics would I, would I, would I care about in a, an AppSec program? Um, and, and that's sort of, okay, MTTR is really great for some things on the ops side. Like if I've got a server down back in the day when we cared about individual servers, MTTR I care about, right? Um, MTTR um, on a vulnerability. I mean, you go care about or on a pat on a. I'll say on a, an issue, right? It could be a vulnerability, it could just be a, a bug. You care about that sometimes, but you have to be able to take that step back and go: Is this actually fixed? It's it's another analogy to throw in there. Is it sort of like a um, um, bug soccer or a football, depending on what country you're in, because you're kicking the can down the road, um, and I'm sitting here rolling my eyes, not at a story, but I'm trying to think, I think, so I didn't want to talk to you about this on air. And I, I've, I've been seeing other people. I was on ESW last week as a co-host. Um, but I think it was on there that there was another story we were talking about where um, I think it was there. It might've just been in the news, but there's some group out there right now that they're going to decrease the amount of mo money they're paying on bug bounties unless they actually sh also show a vulnerability has been um, uh, actually exploited. Is that on here? Too many, too many is just going on. Oh, interesting. No, um, yeah. So if, if I find it, I'll, I'll track it down and put it into Discord later, But um, or maybe in our show notes. But yeah, so there's someone out there right now is going, um, that's great that you're giving us vulnerability findings, but like if I can't actually exploit it, then I, I'm, I'm that's going to get decreased in priority because it's, it's not a, as important to us. Um, so yeah, it, it's the, the CTFs is part of that. You know, it's CTF has always had a bit of a, um, I mean, it, it's exploit based, right? So that's a little different. Um, but it, it's good to see some of this going into some of these core pieces like the, the Linux kernel. Um, I'm not sure my thought around that. I'm trying to think like, where else would I want to see that? Where else would you want to see a program like this that actually has this level of focus? Um, other operating systems mm -hmm. or maybe browsers or... Where would you want to see something yeah. like this? Browsers would be a would be a big one for me. And this one thing I will, I'll, I'll add um, before we totally exhaust the bounty side of things is I always do like to come back to the idea of this is what the this is the 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 money spent on bounty awards for the researchers who found things, but I'd love to see what Microsoft spent to fix all of those bugs. For example, was it another fourteen million on the, their developer time to fix all those bugs? Um, was it more than that? Less than that? Because that's also I think can be informative in terms of where should we be focusing? And we saw, uh, what was it, one or two months ago, we covered the Open Source Security Foundation, their investments into securing open source ecosystem. And that had some money behind it on just, and they were ref, you know, refactoring, rewriting into Rust, I believe, um, 
three three or so uh, core tools that everyone uses, basically saying these are potentially could ha- like uh, could could have potentially have vulnerabilities. We want to make sure they don't have any memory safety issues. Um, not necessarily. So, and that's a specific trade-off. Not necessarily the the trade-off everyone would make, but it's showing where to invest the money. I think that's where my mind is going here. Um, but before my mind gets too flayed from mind flares and all this thinking, uh, there's some other stuff that we can dive into vulnerability-wise that some articles that you were also, um, they were appealing to you on some deep ar- hardware architecture, uh, some chip architecture, John. Yeah, we got a pair. Um, <laughs> it's, it's funny, the uh, the second one actually has a cartoon in it, um, basically relating back to the first. So um, Intel and AMD uh, are, are two big stalwarts from the last, what, two, three decades. Uh Intel has SGX, uh, AMD has, um, wow, actually, I don't remember what they call it on there, so I top of my head. Um, but anyways, um, uh, they both have uh, um, issues. And I guess these aren't directly related to each other. So on the Intel one, it is with SGX, um, and someone's found yet, a, again, a, a vulnerability that allows you to, um, it, so let's go back. SGX on Intel, used for doing a secure, secure compute um, in, in theory, uh, it gives you a protected environment so that um, at a hardware level, so that what's happening on your um, application cannot be read by other processes, um, that type of thing, right? Encrypted memory and, 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 and such. So it's, it's a suite of um, security components, which are um, a little better done than my ability to speak right now. But so it, it's this collection of, of, of things, which uh, we've seen a few issues with over the years, right? It, a lot of us had concerns about this being a black box on the CPU because we couldn't actually do the research on it. Um, they released the code to a degree in the last year or so. Um, I don't think this is related to that, but someone's once again found that um, they were able to get the encryption keys off the SGX. And if you get the encryption keys, then you're able to get in and see what's going on. But apparently it's it's there's not a ton of detail in here or not as much detail as I would like. Uh, they have gone out to, uh, Intel's gone out to a few um, people who really care about this, like the, the example up front in the article is Signal, uh, the secure messaging platform who uses um, uh, SGX in their, uh, on the cloud side. And Signal is saying that they've gone through and they've tested and it's not going to be a problem for them. But in certain cases, it's what, what we're seeing longer and longer is all switch to AMD article is if you really care about your compute and the security thereof, you can't do it on a shared platform. We've sort of known that, like the vendors are trying to make this better, but nonetheless, um, on the AMD side, uh, the whole family of Zen CPUs um, are vulnerable to a side channel attack, which is being called SQUIP, uh, which I had in here stands for, oh, come on, John. The scheduler queue Thank usage you. via interference probing. Exactly. So um, again, right, it's, this one is, is shorter still, but this is one that had the cartoon talking about like, hey, did you hear Intel's having a bad day and it's not as bad as <laughs> AMD's about to have? Um, because this one isn't just specific to the C, to the SGX itself, it's on the, um, uh, the compute as a whole. Not so, you're not so much focusing on the secure compute, but compute in general on the AMD chips. Um, and again, what this one comes down to is, is a side channel attack, which is resulting out of any modern CPU. Can I say for the last 20 years? I think so. Um, uh, does some form of uh, super processing or parallel processing that, that that's basically, you can speed up your CPU either by faster clock rate, um, changing your instruction set, 
or having that CPU try and do multiple things at once, right? So you you, you pipeline your instruction set going into it. Um, the chips have a bunch of code trying to go, which way do we think it's actually going to go? Um, and, and they'll execute several things at once in some of these cases and then just, you know, use the value, which is turns out to be the where the if path went. Um, and in this case, someone else has found, um, we've seen a few of these actually in recent weeks, um, you know, basically a prediction uh, issue. But in this particular case, there's a side channel result out of that. Um, and uh, once again, as I said, it's um, not great. So um, that's interesting at the bottom of it. Sorry. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, we're going to have to include. Um, we're going to have to include a new uh, vulnerability rating system that goes on the the Kinsella rating uh -oh. system that basically is just not great. I'm not sure if there are other categories <laughs> in there. We'll have to. Um, we'll have to see if there's anything else. But as you're describing that, it does have a good tie back to our conversation with Tanya and the the good versus perfect. And here I will use this the example of the discussion of, you know, if you've just listened to John helpfully explain what these issues are in Intel and the AMD, and now you're high priority are figuring out, are we protected from side channel, you know, side channel attacks, specter attacks, yeah. epic attacks? Um, maybe your first question should be, are we handling our OAuth tokens on our API correctly? Yes. Are we encrypting data at rest and data in transit? Are we enabling like TLS 1.2 only, 1.2 and 1.3? These are the good questions to start with before becoming perfect security, uh, because not everyone is that multi-tenant hosting provider like a Amazon and uh, Azure and so yeah. on. And that, that's spot on. Um, and that's why I labeled these with the, the Kinsella rating of, of not great because they're, they're super important, <laughs> super really nitty gritty, cool things to go check out. Um, I had another article, which I didn't put in, of uh, some guy has put a probe onto an ethernet switch, connected it to a an oscilloscope, um, uh, took up this on Hackaday for those out there who are bored. Um, he dumped a bunch of data into the oscilloscope, which he didn't have um, ethernet decoding capabilities. Then he wrote some Python code and brought it over to um, Wireshark and was able to actually take so basically recreated the the, the Ethernet stack, right? Um, but that's not who you know. As you said, have you done input validation? It, it's the basic things. It's like let's start there. I'm like okay, if if, if that's that's cool, because like it, again, as we've been saying. I'm not going to go and pull out my big expensive guns to, to shoot something down when the plane doesn't have gas to get off the ground. No. And, and one of the things too, you know, th that can, in the spirit of what can we do simply, you also just had a, a very brief article about uh uh, Dependabot oh. on looking at vulnerable GitHub actions as well. So this is something that the headline kind of says it all, yep. but I think the value comes out of, oh, nice. We actually have more inspection, more security visibility into additional parts of our CICD process. So to me, this is, um, what, what's the opposite of not great? Is that just great? There's got to be something more entertaining, pretty good. I think, on the Kinsella scale here. Pretty good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, this one is pretty good. Um, this was, I, I saw this one in the, in the, in the news a lot last week. I was actually wasn't going to include it. And I figured, Hey, let's throw it in. And like you said, it is sort of in the headline. And I think what we're seeing, this is let's back up what a month or so we started seeing some vulnerabilities come out of the GitHub actions. Um, whereas is one of our sort of things we talked about on the show here, at least I think I have a little few times is um, at some point people are going to start looking at, you know, as your code becomes better or, you know, your your infrastructure becomes better, people go keep finding that le weakest link. 
and they started looking at like the actual um, CI/CD path itself. So um, with GitHub, for those who don't know, you're able to go and point and click off basically a marketplace and say, hey, I'd love to have that scanner as part of my uh, my CI process, and it sort of drops it in there. But there was no real security. There was security on it, right? But there was no no, no way to do a notification of like, oh, dude, that that thing you added in six months ago that you thought was sort of cool for a, a line count and pretty colors, that's got a vulnerability in it. So that's really what this is at the end of the day. Is is um, it, it is simple, but it is very, very, very useful for those of us who are depending upon those. No, absolutely. I've got now, uh, we, we, we've mentioned a couple of Black Hat topics so far, and I have to admit, uh, I have not had time yet to read through all of the, the presentations, check out the slides that are available. I will use this moment, though, to say to listeners, are there particular presentations that you really thought were interesting, entertaining, or educational that you'd love us to amplify here? Let us know. Um, as well as I've got one that I will, I think we can squeeze in to talk about a little bit here from a port swigger talking about desync attacks. But before we dive into that, uh, John, I'm not sure, are there some others that you, some presentations that you want to put on the radar, maybe for some uh, so, some homework for listeners to, to take a look at as we start to uh, cover them for the rest of the uh, you know August and possibly even in September? Honestly, the one that I think we were we were waiting for, for the last few weeks was the KD one. So um, uh, mm. uh, around Botox for your bounties, um, there's so much in there. Yeah, it, this is the and I say this every year, but now I need to go and sort of try and dig through all these. So we'll have some really great uh, stories I think in the coming weeks. Um, and once again, I'll repeat what Mike said: is if if any of you out there see something sort of cool, which you think is like, wow, I'd love to hear the guys talk about this or just get this more exposure, hit us up in Discord, mm -hmm. Twitter cloud, smoke, flares, whatever you got. We'll, we'll love to hear about it. So one of the ones that we can talk about a little bit now, mm -hmm. and I'm going to squeeze this in since we're, we're, we're near the end, is desync, which is Portswigger once again diving into HTTP request smuggling. I, I'm prefacing this in the sense of, I, I heard, I, I can't find the quote, but I, I heard someone say a long, long time ago that if you want to win a Nobel Prize in physics, figure out how to measure something accurately. Mm. Um, and I think there's an equivalent here. If you want to make uh, become famous or make lots of money in bug bounties, find a new attack surface. And from 2019 onward, Portswigger has definitely discovered this uh, HTTP request smuggling attack surface. And, and, you know, identified lots of really interesting and, you know, clever and relatively simple vulns once you read how they are executed. They boil down to the sense of HTTP 1 as a standard-ish description to it, meaning, you know, it has some RFCs and it basically says, here are a bunch of request content that can come into discrete requests and be queued up on, by a server. But if you can play around with the data length boundaries, basically the content length and the transfer encoding that both say where a particular request content ends, you can get some mismatched assumptions between the HTTP traffic coming in and whatever that HTTP traffic handler is looking at. And that traffic handler could be a reverse proxy, it could be a server, and he lists uh, Varnish, Apache, a bunch of others, and demonstrates how these vulnerabilities come through implementation details and implementation mismatches from HTTP 1 that affects um, really enter entertaining things. It affected Amazon, so once again, here's a company with a deep bug bounty pockets and mature secure programming, 
still falling vulnerable to this, showing some, as he admits, admittedly quite rare, but a way to use a reverse proxy to basically create a couple multiple requests to get access to an intranet site, which I thought was very much like, what? Um, a type of reaction there. So a lot of really interesting it's a great article. Uh, I'm not doing it justice to try to summarize it here. But one of the takeaways I think, though, is that use HTTP2, or I think now HTTP3. And part of the reason is that HTTP2 is much more strict and much more prescriptive about how to consume data. And because of that prescriptive aspect and what more well-defined approach is that you can have implementations that are hopefully more in pretty good land as opposed to uh, not so great. <laughs> So um, that, 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 that's how I'd measure the uh, HTTP 1 to HTTP 2 journey. I, I don't know, John, if you've had a chance to read through uh, Port Swigger's research here, anything else that, uh, that, that, highlights, that highlights from you? I did. Um, man, it feels like, I can't believe this is just last week. It feels like I was reading this weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Let me think. You know what, especially as you're just sort of talking through, the, the thought that pops in my head around this is... Um, where does this sit in the zero trust world? Um, from the mm. point of view, um, I guess you could also say in, in single sign-on as well, but particularly zero trust. So zero trusts, um, I've been talking about a lot. It's not that I'm actually that fond of it. It's just it's on my mind. Um, but the concept of we're going to have a central authentication. authentication um, I'm not going to worry too much about the transport um, aspect of the security of my network. I might use a VPN, I might not. But I'm going to use that authentication and the way I authorize someone, um, the combination of where they are, what their machine's like, you know, color of their hair, a bunch of different aspects to figure out if they should or should not be able to get access to the property. Um, how does that concept, which is relatively new, some people, you know, it's again, I was on the SFW last week and boy, I hit a, um, a sensitive topic when I brought up zero trust, like I got two people yelling at me. Um, but uh, uh to some folks, it is sort of tricky and, and sketchy and like, what, there's nothing zero about it and blah, blah, blah. Okay, I get it, cool. But still, it's something that they're being used. So bringing it back to this, would this, I'm guessing this is going to decrease the security of a zero trust implementation um, because you're not, again, it depends on, on the level of that, that security of the transport. Um mm -hmm but it seems like this is going to play with that. So it, it's very far reaching when something like this comes out, right? And it, it's, as always, it's a good write-up from these guys. Um, lots of good stuff in it. Um, but I'd be curious to think about how far does it spread? You know, we talk about HTTP2, how long till that's really adopted? Um, and it's getting adoption right now, don't get me wrong again, but I think we still got a little bit of time. So um, as, as people have some stuff like this in their back pocket, um, it, it'll be fun, you know, over a tasty beverage to go and poke around at things and sort of see what happens. And um, um, I'm trying to think of what my security rating is for this, uh, but uh, um, I'll save that for later. All right. Well, while you think of the security rating, I think what I'll do is have one more comment to bring our all of our conversations yes. together now. Uh, you know, the I, I'm nodding and smiling and sighing, unfortunately, that yes, HTTP2 has been available for quite a while, but the the pervasiveness is perhaps not so great in HTTP3 
we're, we might just leapfrog straight to that, even though that as a standard, it's only officially standardized this summer. But maybe part of that, what are we, what, how much money do we have left? Uh, our, our $5 million uh, security budget yes. is that idea of what if we just went through our organization and turned all of our HTTP1 endpoints into HTTP2? There's clearly a lift. Um, and it's one of those things that that's en- engineering, a VP of engineering might say actually, why am I going to bother? And hopefully we can build a case on there are some performance characteristics that are improvements here. You can have better, you know, lower latency. So there's, you know, always speak to those SRE mm-hmm. types of categories. But here's hopefully a way to help build the security value as well by saying we can avoid just some unknown mismatches, some some messiness, if you will, some things that are not so great on the back end because of this legacy HTTP 1.1 that goes back to uh, those of us who were in college or high school in the 90s. And that's a, a very great point. Um uh, but subtle in there of like when we were when we're trying to push these things in, it's not always about hey, we've got a way to make things more secure and you won't be on the front page of the New York Times. That's great when it works, but um, <laughs> it's a much easier sale to go to a lot of people and go, hey, this is going to improve the um, performance of our website by X percent. Yeah. And Google has shown us that if we're able to get a faster response on that, we're going to get better return on our e-commerce. We'll have more sales and bigger sales and all those type of things. So yeah, always think about how can you, how do you sell these things to people, right? Um, very important. Well, the other important thing to sell to people is having a good Kinsella scale of security impacts. So uh, we will be expanding on that over the upcoming episodes. Thank you once again, John, for giving us uh, more, more, more excellent insights on the articles as well as how to uh, talk about them. I want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, please do subscribe, hit that like button, check out the show notes. And speaking of 90s music, check out Soul Asylum and their song Runaway Train. We'll see you next week on Application Security Weekly. 